I encapsulated my why by creating a big, hairy, audacious goal, which was to create a thousand millionaires. Now, to be clear, the thousand millionaires isn't about money. It's about if someone becomes a millionaire, just look what they would have had to have done to create in the economy people to employ, customers to serve, value that's created. And it was just a way of saying, if I can accomplish that or when I accomplish that, what a difference that would make. So that's really become my why every morning I wake up and I've got a big, big mountain to climb. You just clicked on Radically Honest Podcast. We're demystifying the keys to success in our digital age through the art of raw storytelling. So Chris, what was your first job if you could remember the context behind that and what that taught you? So my first job was really being an entrepreneur. So I remember problem solving with my father saying, hey, I'd love to start making some money, but I swam every morning. I swam at night. There were weekend workouts. So those normal times are when students could get work. So he sort of said, hey, well, our neighbors would need their snow removed. Our neighbors would need their lawns cut. Why don't you wander around? So I basically bought a snowblower and just kind of went as far as I could walk. And, and the same thing with my lawnmower for a number of years. Then I got a license. And then pretty soon I could put it in the back of my car and go further and find more clients. So that was my first job. And what it taught me was really one of the great things, again, about living in really North America is there's just this incredible market. And there's all sorts of people who need things, who want services, who have the money to do it, don't have the time to do it. And that's just an easy way to be an entrepreneur and provide value. And there's a bunch of simple things that you can get started with. And then as you get more and more experience, you can do more. So that's what I learned. And I think it's so interesting how with your current position as Student Works Management Program, you talk about how in today's world, like you said, there's a bounty of resources, information, content, etc. But you talk about the lack of context in how to apply these resources at the right time, at the right situation, etc. So when did that epiphany almost transpire for you throughout your entrepreneurship journey? Well, when I had the opportunity to go join my friend who I'd met to come and get started with him in his business, he was, I know, three, four or five years older and maybe even not that much, but it's enormous difference when you're 18 or 19. And he was running a business many times bigger than me. And I could just tell that he could provide, again, more context, more knowledge, more systems, a higher understanding. So then I could get what he had. And he was also just saying, here, come and I'll teach you the things that I have. So I think that's really when it become clear. But then over time, it's become more and more clear. It's funny, what's true about business is there's just so many small things that can make all the difference. It's becoming an overnight success story in decades, just because there's so many iterations and improvements and I consider it climbing a mountain range. And then all of a sudden you climb and you think that's the top of the mountain range and you go, oh my Lord, there's another huge range out there, but I couldn't see it from where I was. But once I'm up there, holy. And again, you could see that as being discouraging and I never did. I always saw it as what an opportunity, like, isn't this amazing? Like there's just more and more and more to do. And as if that isn't a surprise because 
tell me that the world's most successful entrepreneurs don't see things at a whole other level that I do, for sure. Like my business is this year, we expect to do $18 million. So what would Musk or Gates or what are their vision of the world? Way, way bigger and broader. And so that's, I think, really critical to understand. That is really fascinating how you applied your real life insights into a business model that is extremely profitable, like you mentioned. And so something that Student Works Management Program professes is allowing these young 18-year-olds to perhaps make even over six figures in revenue within their first year. So what would you say for aspiring emerging entrepreneurs out there is like that lacking component to success that makes you an overnight success story like you mentioned? Well, I think really what it comes down to, I think one of the most important steps or laxes is really action. So it's awesome, really getting into action. And then from that action, I get feedback. Oh, that worked, that didn't work. And then getting into more action. And if we really think like there's so much information on the internet, there's so much information in podcasts, which is great, by the way. And what can I do to find a mentor or find somebody who's doing what I'm doing and then learn from them? One thing that I've done over my lifetime is I've developed relationships with people who do what I do in completely different markets. So their reason to share with me is, wow, he's really good in that market. I'm good in this market. We can actually help each other and not be competitive and share really deeply and not impact each other's markets. And so that's one strategy that can really, really make a difference so that, again, you're learning from somebody and you don't have to figure it out all yourself. Yes. It's sometimes about the who, not the how. And also resources are people too. And a lot of that is underrated. What was your why that compelled you to truly become a part of this program as well as launch the podcast, especially since it's experienced a lot of success? Yeah. So my why, I guess, when I got started in the program, I remember at events, we'd be talking and I'd be saying, gosh, people are going to do so well in decades because of this experience. And this is going to make such a difference. And I'm just sure, like we're early 20s, people are probably saying, hey, Chris, relax, have a beer, calm down. But I never did calm down. And that I encapsulated my why by creating a big, hairy, audacious goal, which was to create a thousand millionaires. Now, to be clear, the thousand millionaires isn't about money. It's about if someone becomes a millionaire, just look what they would have had to have done to create in the economy, people to employ, customers to serve, value that's created. And it was just a way of saying, if I can accomplish that or when I accomplish that, as you mentioned, we're 161 is what's on our website. We've identified more than 170 now, but if I can, what an accomplishment, what a difference that would make and what a contribution that would be. So that's really become my why and something that really, again, every morning I wake up, I'm inspired, I'm motivated, and I've got a big, big mountain to climb. Do you remember a point in your progress within like the past three decades that you just felt so rewarded by the mission behind this program and what it's accomplishing for young people everywhere? Many times, but I remember one instance, one of my great friends called from Dallas and he was the senior business development person. So number three in the company and his business, when he joined it, what had an $8 million valuation and grew to over $200 million valuation. And 
I know, four or five years, six years. And so basically he called me and he said, Chris, I'm speaking to an angel and that's you. And I just never would have accomplished this. And they just wired a ridiculous amount of money into my business and in my bank account. And we're off to become a billion dollar business. And again, it wouldn't happen without you. And so I've got to tell you that that is incredibly rewarding and felt incredibly motivating. And again, it makes me feel like, okay, what students can we have an enormous impact for this summer and really teach the lessons of success so that they can have that type of a career? To give the audience a little bit more tangibility behind what Student Works Management does, can you discuss more of the breakdown of this skill, like workshop, training, et cetera? Yeah. So every fall, we spend the entire fall recruiting the best students that we can, university and college-age students across eastern Canada. Well, right across Canada, there's somebody who basically owns a trademark in the West, and we work together. And so we're on campus in a non-COVID world. We're on the internet. We get all sorts of referrals. Half of our team returns every year. And so that we start in January, and I know right now we're in January, this past weekend and this coming weekend, we have enormous trainings for our 250 operators, and we teach them all the different things they need to know the marketing, the sales, the estimating, the recruiting, because they're running their own individual business. And so right now it's all over Zoom. And then they have a coach who's run the program before, and they get coached on how to go out and sell jobs, how to go out and market jobs. And then from January to April, just before they get out of school, their only focus is sales, marketing, and recruiting a great team. And then once they're out of school in May through August or beginning of September, they're focused on selling, producing, and continuing to market more business. And then we wrap things up and they all go back to school again. So it's this annual business. And I remember Dasim early on when I was running the business, I'd be frustrated because it took so long to improve the business because you'd find out, oh, wow, we're doing the wrong thing. We should do it this way. We should do it this way. But What ended up happening is it actually gives us a break because we completely focus on recruiting for three months or we completely focus on sales and marketing. And then you get to sort of take some time off and then you reassess. What are you doing better? What new step could we take that would make it even better? And in many ways, our unique process of the way we go to market is so unique. And as a result, over decades, it's really, really created this awesome educational program that really, again, works in the marketplace. Customers love to use us because they can see that these students are running their own business and they're employing local students in their marketplace and they feel really good about buying from them. I love the point that you brought up about niching down and narrowing down on points that are really, really important, like recruiting, having that specialty there for like three months and then getting really, really good at something. And also, with universities just matching their undergraduate missions for education through experiences. I think that's very unique. And as you reflect on your journey of progressing the business, what turning point can you pinpoint for like future entrepreneurs, people that are currently struggling with challenges in their business that really helped with the progress that you all experienced in the past few decades? Well, turning point, there's been so many 
one big turning point, and again, just kind of that it's not all about you turning point, is I remember one time one of my associates who was running a really, really great business in another part of North America, I went out and he was just doing so well. I literally jumped on a plane and said, hey, can I come visit? I flew out and literally spent two days just kind of wandering around with him and what are you doing and what's different and just trying to figure out how he was running such a better business than I was. And obviously, incredibly uh, gracious and what an amazing person to do that. And obviously, we had good social time and spent time together. And then I came back with a whole group of ideas that we went and implemented in our business and our business jumped to that next level. And then from that next level, we were attracting better and better people in our business. And then we jumped to the next level. And we've had, I think it's been well over 10 years of just consistent year over year growth, year over year growth, year over year growth. And so much of that started from that networking, that learning from other people. You can't figure it out all yourself. Likely, I know some people can, but I'm not someone who was able to. So almost replicating the successful business models or tactics that other people are using in your similar industry niche. In addition to that, when you reflect back, is there a point where you just felt extremely human? So whether that was extremely empathetic for the students that do not have access to these sort of experiences, but could heavily benefit from them, or a simple desire to help others overcome your initial learning curve with entrepreneurship as a young student? Well, life is really unfair. So that's something that I just know to be true. And I already shared, I come from privilege. I've created sort of more privilege for my kids. And yes, that comes from hard work and providing great service to the marketplace. But in the end, I understand that. And so for me, I have not spent my time in our business looking for ways to try to solve that privilege problem. And instead, I've just worked with our really amazing students to make them better and really create value. The one area of our business that we've really worked to get behind a greater cause than ourselves is about 20 years ago, my wife had a clinically isolated event with multiple sclerosis. So she had double vision for two weeks. She couldn't see. Well, sorry, she did have multiple sclerosis, which is a terrible neurological disease. And I just saw her being in a wheelchair in 20 years. And fortunately, it ended up just being one time. And so we use that motivation. So every job that we do, we make a donation to multiple sclerosis. We do that right across Canada and we're coming up to $1.9 million this coming season. So it's something that we're just really, really proud of. And again, kind of like you said, that humanity, right? Just those people who Again, imagine being in a wheelchair and not being able to get around. Like I just jumped into my car and went down into town. Like that's just so, so tough. And so again, from a place of contribution, what can we all do? And one of the great things as well that I love about what we're doing is we're also training hundreds of students every year about how great it feels to do that. It's not only is it great for the people who are in the end recipients to, to hopefully that we can stop MS and cure MS, but on top of it, you feel better when you go and do that. You know that you're somebody of a value and you're really trying to make a difference in the world. So it seems like with the teaching that Student Works Management Program does, it is a lot about personal branding and how the entrepreneurs, the students can help their audiences in a very personalized and specific manner. Why do you think that was a main focus, if that is, 
in addition to the like the sales aspects? Well, I'm a big believer what shows up in one area of your life shows up in all areas of your life. So for me, you're really not seeing life fully if you don't think, again, how do I treat my significant other? How does that show up? Or my son and daughter, how does that show up as a leader in my business? How does it show up as I treat people on the street? Like all of those things show up. And so that we try to teach a full lesson. I had a coaching call today about one of our young operators was just really, really being challenged with some of the people who she was living with and just how they were behaving and that they weren't that receptive in sort of to behave better and to work as a team. And for whatever reason, she was being ostracized or she felt like she was being ostracized from the house. And so to me, all those things matter. And that if we can teach better lessons about how to handle that, we're going to create better leaders because it's just not about how much money you make. That's a pretty, pretty simplistic way about business leadership and entrepreneurship. So Chris, what do you think makes a great leader? What do I think makes a great leader? What a great question. I would say one of the biggest things that makes a great leader is being a real fan. So if you really think about it, being a fan of your team, being the cheerleader, seeing the best in that person, no matter what, their results weren't that great that week. Well, if I believe in that person, if I believe in you, Dawson, well, then I'm your fan, period. And so, yes, we can work on how to have you perform at the level you're capable of, and I can be your fan. And so to me, one of the big things that a leader needs to be is a real fan of someone. And the other big piece about leadership is just emotional intelligence. That's a big, big part of it. And there's so much knowledge out there about how to improve your emotional intelligence, how to become more and more aware of the things that you're doing that are working for people and things that you're doing that aren't working for people, and then make some changes. Yes, absolutely. And as a college student myself, I understand that college truly revolves around experiences. And I was wondering why y'all chose specifically that age range, young 18-year-olds, college students, more so like freshmen, sophomores to target as these recipients of the growth training rather than any other age range? I guess part of it is, is I'm just so fortunate I found this organization and we were focused on, again, mostly university students, but university and college students, first to fourth year. And one of the things is I would love to say that I was so smart, I saw this and I didn't. <laughs> but here's the secret sauce to our business. The secret sauce is we provide such amazing coaching, learning, experience, personal development for these students that we have incredible students coming in and approaching us and saying, I want to be in your program. And then they get referred. Half of them stay every year and come back and keep developing. So that's the one part of the business that works. The second part of the business is that clients just really, really love the idea of supporting students. Millions and millions of dollars of business every year is paid to students to go fund university education in Canada. Well, that's a real motivator. They love that we are training and coaching these great skills and we teach them about how to share that with our clients. So those things make us really, really different. Because if you think about it, we're a painting company, we're a window cleaning company. So that is as commoditized a service as you could have. It's so commoditized. And so why have we done so well? Because we get incredible people and we have a marketplace that really loves it. One line I love to share is, imagine if 
one of the big box stores, Home Depot, as an example, the senior vice president of Home Depot said, hey, I've got this great idea next summer. We're going to put students in charge of all of our stores right across North America. People would say, what are you talking about? You can't do that. And you can't. But in our business, we can because we literally shut the business down to go and recruit. And then we just train and then we operate only four months of the year. So it's a really, really crazy, unique business model. As far as all of the recruiting that you do, I'm sure you are at the end of the day, like left with this amazing applicant pool. And one of the things that I'm sure you bet for is the capacity to learn. Could you explain like the prioritization of characteristics, qualities, et cetera, that you look for in an ideal candidate of this program so that they are ready to learn more so than technically skilled? Yeah, that's so great. Like we are not recruiting for skills because they don't have them. So we're totally recruiting for attitude and need and desire. So one of the biggest things we do during our recruiting process is we push back on why are you doing this? Why would you want to do this? Why are you pursuing this? And if they can't give us a really great reason, then we don't pursue it. Now, sometimes they fight back, meaning, well, hold on. What do you mean? You're letting me off the phone? Yeah, no, we're letting you off the phone. Well, hold on. No, no. Then there's this idea or this reason. And so a big part of it is they need to have this real desire to go and say, I want to work 25 hours a week around my school. I want to work 60 hours a week during the summer. I really want these skills because I want to do this in the world later. I want to make a contribution. I want to run a business. I want to run a not-for-profit. I want to do these great things and I need these skills. Because very few people come into our business thinking they're going to go run a window cleaning business or a painting business. Not that none of them do, but very few people do. And so it's about the big future. And then, of course, we are 100% looking for a past track record. They're great athletes, really great students, or have other extracurricular events that they've run or leaders in other areas. And then for sure, they need really strong communication skills, because if they don't have a base of really strong communication skills, there's no way we're going to be able to train them to successfully go sell work. And Chris, with you and your passion for entrepreneurship, Where do you think that why, I mean, we discussed this before, but you talked about having to build up resilience. And when you have resilience, you're able to learn despite whatever ambiguous learning curve comes at you. What do you think drove you to get past the challenges over the past few decades, just constantly going and having that capacity to learn? So one of the things I really, really recommend is getting to know yourself. So one of the things that I've done is, you know, in some great programs, the Hoffman process, landmark education and therapy, understanding yourself, understanding your why, understanding what it is. So there's no question that I was driven, made choices as a young child that drive my behavior, my commitment, my focus to live a big life. There's a lot of unraveling there to go and do that. And so some of it is kind of a striving that is not maybe is sometimes kind of unconscious, maybe even not all that healthy at times. But I think the thing that's most healthy and most positive is when I stay connected to really the contribution, meaning I'm committed to creating all sorts of amazing leaders. I'm committed to having people have an incredible impact in the world. I know one of our alumni, he was speaking at our training this past weekend. He's looking to be part of creating a strategy to vaccinate a bunch of the people where you can't get high temperature freezers into Africa. Well, how are we going to vaccinate them? Well, he's got 
technology that believes that they're going to be able to do that. Well, isn't that pretty amazing that alumni of our program are involved in that type of an impact? And by the way, as well, it certainly is an impact as well that would impact his company financially as well, of course. Yes. Thank you for that. I apologize for the complexity of that question there. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But would you mind telling us a story of a time you faced adversity regarding your business as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So at one point we expanded down to the United States and it was in the middle of the dot-com boom. And one of our major competitors had done it about a decade earlier and their business was really, really running well. They had pollinated the business with some Canadian leaders and eventually the business was just full of amazing Americans, senior leadership. And we planned on doing the same thing. And in our second year, we were running a business over a million dollars and the United States government decided that they didn't want to extend our visas, that they thought that it would be way better to have Canadian engineers and tech people come to the U.S. rather than people running painting businesses. And so, and by the way, I understand why they chose that, Wish I'd seen that in advance. So I had three kids under the age of seven, for sure, and we were hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt credit card companies calling home and my wife taking phone calls in the morning. And we had this one core business, the one I'm running now, that was still successful. But I remember just how enormously challenging, how just challenged I felt every morning going to work and getting myself out of that real setback. And so I managed to, but it was just an enormous, enormous challenge. And a big part of it was just an emotional challenge to sort of get myself, okay, because the reality is, as long as I went and executed my core business, we could get out of that hole. It was a matter of doing that, not losing faith, not losing trust in yourself to actually pull yourself out. So you mentioned focusing on this core business as your primary source of income and the primary source of all of your efforts. But what did you have to deprioritize or let go of in order to focus your efforts on something that was truly going to be the solution for y'all in that situation? So I would say that one problem that many entrepreneurs have is they have a hard time focusing. I had a hard time focusing or am advantaged by attention deficit disorder, but at times suffer from it jumping and doing too many things. So definitely one of the big problems that I've had in my entrepreneurial career is jumping at things that sounded like a good idea, maybe even would have been a good idea, but in the end weren't. And that I would have been just way better focused on just the core business I'm running right now and just getting better and better and better at that. And so Jeff Bezos runs Amazon, is totally focused on Amazon. And it's just such a difficult thing. And I know some people are very successful being portfolio entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs and having these businesses run separately. I was just never very successful at that at all. Yeah, that is really great advice. Just narrowing down once again, just going deeper rather than wider with your breadth of opportunities. So with your entrepreneurship mindsets, how did you professionally and personally grow through that journey of overcoming the hump? 
I guess the biggest thing is a recognition of where the miss is, a recognition of what we need to do is focus. What I need to do is focus, not do anything else and draw back and really, really focus on just that one opportunity and just get better and better and better. So to me, that was the biggest thing. So number one, a recognition. And then second of all, just a stick to itness of not chasing the shiny lures that you see, like the fishing, you know, there's a lure, oh, I'm going to go chase it. And it's very, very difficult. Like for me, I do it by actually having people in my life, my partner, she's the CEO of the business. I'm the head coach. Ultimately, one of the things that we decided to do was she has the final decision-making because I am just too likely to jump on something and get really excited about something because it is just what I do. And so it's just learning about yourself, learning about your, again, strengths and weaknesses. And the best thing we can do is keep us doing what we're best at. Was it difficult for you to really accept this is what I'm good at and this is what I may need help at? I don't think so. Different points of it, there probably was, but I think I always knew what I was really good at. I found a bunch of things frustrating that I was drawn into. And again, as our business has grown more and more, I spend more and more of my time in what we call our unique ability. And what unique ability is things you're really, really great at and that actually give you energy. So I'm not drawn into areas of the business like admin or finance or legals or different areas of the business where, frankly, I'm not that good at. My wife and other people in the company will ask for my feedback. I'll give it to them. And then they'll go off and they'll make decisions and they'll move things forward. Probably there are times in the past where I've resisted that, thinking you need to be in control. But one thing that I'm pretty good at is giving up that control. Rather, I'm more interested in the result. And mostly what I am, Dasam, is really a coach. So really what I love to do every day is just go coach people to get better and to see things and to improve. So the fact that I don't have to be involved in other areas of the business that are really important, but they can be done again by my partner or others, that's fantastic. What an advantage. Yes, focusing on your key strengths. And it looks like you invest so much time into your business and also like your family is intertwined into that. How do you make time to develop that self-awareness to improve internally day by day when you are consumed by your business all the time, potentially? Yeah. So I guess I'm a big believer in you need to take a bunch of vacation days and you need to clear time off. You need to set ground rules about when we're going to work, when we're not going to work on weekends that we're not going to talk about business or on vacations, we're not going to talk about business. And again, that's something that maybe we've been strong at at times and weak at at times, but we've gotten way, way better at that to support each other again, just so that we're finding more enjoyment and it's not all work. I think one of the other things about successful entrepreneurs is a lot tend to be workaholics. So learning to sort of not work so hard is a real challenge. One of my themes lately, the last few years has been, I'm working hard to not work so hard, which is really even funny how I say it. And I make fun of myself to sort of acknowledge that there's this part of me that just wants to go work. And some of it's good. Some of it comes from a good spot, the contribution part of it. Some of it probably comes from a yearning, an unconscious piece of me that that's how I'm valued. So I should go work. So it's kind of deconnecting from that is something that I try to do. Yes. You bring up such a great point about separating your sense of worth and value from your work, especially as an entrepreneur. So 
what would you say that you try to place your identity in more so? Is it like the effects, the positive effects that you have on students that you coach or perhaps your desire to be a teacher in a way more so than like a business entrepreneur that is sometimes defined by like success metrics? Yeah, that is really tough. Like for sure, I am mostly a coach and I know that no matter what, if we sell the business or imagine the world with this business not existing, I would still be a coach. I spend a bunch of time coaching for free. But I think ultimately, one of the things over the last number of years, I've gotten more and more into meditation, which again, has you sort of, again, identify yourself beyond what we do, what I do beyond the roles we have, the money we have in the bank, all those different types of things. So separating ourselves more and more from those things. And it's difficult. But even the awareness that you see it's difficult is an awareness that you're looking to separate yourself out. And again, not just tied to the sales of your business or how much money you made or all those different types of things that, again, ultimately is really not as important. Yes. The meaningful things that even if like everything materialistic was stripped from you, like you would still have that as the core of your being in a way. So can you tell us a story now after overcoming your adversity where you felt truly grateful for having experienced that low point? Because I'm sure at the time, like it was not a fun place to be in, but afterwards, I'm sure you grew so much from that and learned about the tenacity of being an entrepreneur that you were almost grateful for it. Yeah. So the final kick in the pants of my ADD going down the wrong road was we got the opportunity to partner with Home Depot. And so we had a professional painting business operating. And by the way, not that this necessarily would have been a bad choice or anything, but we went out and raised well over a million dollars and we expanded right across Canada. We grew the business from $300,000 to $26 million in five years. We partnered with some great friends, And we all lost a bucket load of money because as we started doing more and more business, the economic crisis of 2008 came along and Home Depot decided that, but they didn't just say, we're not going to do this, but they decided that they weren't going to do it. And so eventually we pulled out of the business, we took a huge loss, but one of the biggest things I got was really, it's just an opportunity to just say, no. It's like this business, although it's a quote unquote student works management program is about painting and window cleaning. It's not about the paint. What it's about is about coaching, about development people. And it was finally the last kick in the head I've needed. And I'm pretty sure I won't need another because I'm just not anywhere else but here. And it's just about not being about the paint, being about the coaching, being about really delivering value. And then since then, our business has grown like 450%. So it really is fascinating. Just I never saw how successful our business could have been at the time or I wouldn't have done it. So it really is kind of interesting how, again, someone right in the middle of a business doesn't see how successful a business could be because that certainly was where I was. Yes, I've actually heard that quite a bit where entrepreneurs experience this low right before they're high. And it's almost like a very interesting spike rather than a linear path of progression. But Could you break down now more so the differences after hearing so much about your journey and the various experiences that you have had, the differences that people may see from what they see online? So LinkedIn, other social media platforms, just glamorizing you as this entrepreneur who is running a successful business between the day-to-day of your life. What are the key differences there that people should know? 
Yeah, I think that's so great. And I think it's such a tough time for young people, greater sense of depression and suicide and feeling disconnected. When I was a kid, I'd pick up the phone and call people. Is something going on? Something going on? Is there a party? Is there anything? And then I go, oh, I guess there isn't. And so I'd have some ice cream and watch Fantasy Island or Love Boat. Like that's how sad my life was. But I didn't have Instagram or Facebook to show me what my friends were doing. And I was left out. And so this whole, and by the way, of course, showing the public life rather than the private life, really those challenges. So, you know, again, I've been married for over 30 years and love my wife and she's fantastic. And hey, at times we fought and the times have been really, really difficult and challenging. So there's nobody that I know who's honest, who doesn't have enormous professional or personal struggles. You just don't see it. And it makes sense why someone wouldn't, oh, I know, podcast it because it's not that entertaining and it's depressing if we're in breakdown or fighting or disagreeing or whatever. So it's not very useful, but it's just getting an understanding that that's the public facade, which makes sense. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. We're going to highlight what's good because we want to market to people and have people choose us. And on the other hand, understanding that everybody struggles. Everybody has, again, mental health problems or physical problems or relationship issues and knowing that. And one of the things I highly recommend is actually looking to have real relationships with people where you actually share those things with people. So if you're sharing your personal struggles with people, people will share theirs with you and you'll see, oh, it looks to me like Andrew has this perfect life and he doesn't. And he's got a great life, but he struggles too, or she struggles too. And it kind of puts your setbacks, et cetera, in context. And kind of as a closing question here, thank you so much for your time today. And we've learned so much from you. But derived from your experiences, what raw and very stripped down advice would you give those that are really hungry to succeed in your industry, whether it's specifically in like the painting and the window or in the more the coaching side and working with students and developing young entrepreneurs? Yeah. So here's what I have to say. Number one, I think really become about other people. So I really consider myself a consulting business. So every day I get up and I'm serving other people. I'm serving my clients. I'm serving my young students to go and earn more money and grow more and develop more and have huge careers. That's really what it's about. It's rather than it's about me making money. So it's flipping it. And then the other piece is, is that most people focus on motivation. Oh, I want to be motivated. I want to be motivated. And the reality is motivation won't cut it. Michael Phelps won eight gold medals. And for four years before, he never missed a day of working out. Do you think that Michael Phelps wanted to go to all those workouts? No, he would not have wanted to go to most of them, I'm sure, but not all of them. And his integrity, his commitment to his bigger goal made it so that he went to all those workouts. So what I would point to always, and I point to our team, I point to myself, is focusing on your integrity, focusing on those things that you made a commitment to, you put your word to it. I'm going to go and market today, or I'm going to go and pick up the call, but the phone and call 10 customers, or I'm going to go and do that admin task that I need to, or whatever it is I need to do, I'm going to go do that and not look to see, am I motivated to do that? No, I'm just going to go do it because that's actually what I'm putting my word to. And that's my integrity. That's incredible advice, Chris. I think 
instant gratification is something that a lot of, especially Generation Z individuals struggle with. And on top of that, the motivation piece is something we've become privileged to prioritize when we are deciding what to do with our time, what to do with our careers, etc. And like you said, materialistic things like income, profit, et cetera, like that's not sustainable factors of motivation. So in that case, what do you think people should be motivated by? You touched on commitment. You touched on honoring your obligations to others, but beyond that, more so internally. Absolutely. And if I look at the success we've had, a big part of the success we've had over the last decade has been around really, really focusing on integrity. We make a commitment to do something, let's really, really drive in and do that commitment. Let's really, really be focused on it. And that's something that I just can't comment enough about. Um, And it's made all the difference in our business. Chris, where can everyone find you to support you alongside your journey and also your business? So they could link to me on LinkedIn. And then also our website is studentworks.com. And if they're interested in hearing inspiring stories of young students just doing amazing things, they could tune into my podcast at The Leaders of Tomorrow, available everywhere. Perfect. Thank you so much. And guys, Chris Thompson is spelled Chris, C-H-R-I-S, Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. We have an episode releasing on Radically Honest Podcast every Tuesday, guys. And we also have Instagram, Twitter accounts at Radically Pod, LinkedIn and Facebook pages, and of course, radicallyhonestpodcast.com. Thank you so much, Chris. Everyone have a wonderful day and we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye guys. 